Hey, it's Marky Ramon here. Garageland.net is your one-stop shop for vinyl records, art, and clothing. They got thousands of titles available on vinyl, rare limited edition art, and even that vintage Ramones t-shirt that your ex stole from you. Oh, and did I mention free shipping? Welcome back to Screaming at a Wall, you miscreants, misfits, and outcasts of society. It's actually our first recorded interview um, of the year. I want to welcome Sammy Town, aka Slammy Town, which was actually the original nickname that I think you had. Uh, maybe prior. <laughs> no one calls me that anymore. No. <laughs> Uh, not in the pit as much at this stage in the game, or are you just trying uh, to start the pit? <laughs> yeah. Um, man, so I just, right off the bat, I just have to say that American Nightmare, and I think we we talked about this before, really influenced me. And I had heard that album um, when I was locked up. And so there was a lot of, connections and there was a lot i was like learning about fang from as we were, we were talking about sick boy sick boy is the the dude that got me into punk rock while i was locked up but that that album to this day just it it, it connects on s such a hard level uh for me do you think that that is one of your most significant albums like that comes from the heart because it was written at a time that you you were going through a lot a lot emotionally um and i don't think it's the the most popular album either which which <laughs> is weird definitely to, not which is weird to me well i mean there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of reasons uh, for, for me that album uh probably uh as far as what I, what I wrote there, well, well, the songs that are on there uh, are, are probably uh, a little deeper than a lot of the other stuff that, that, that we, you know, that I've ever done. Um, you know, since uh, a lot of the material, a lot of the, at least the, the lyrics were written when I was in prison, you know, and so I used them when I got out. Um, and uh, so I think on a on a on a very personal level, that that particular record is by far the most personal, you could say. You know that it it uh, it's it's not. Um, uh, there's still some uh, some jokes and some cynicism, which you know Fang, especially early on, was kind of known for. Mm -hmm. um, but still, uh, you know, it, coming from, you know. Uh, coming from the yard, uh, you know, that's the record I brought with me, you know, a hundred percent, you know, so it was, it was very personal, you know, and, and as far, you know, as far as why 
what happened that 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 record we never were really able to promote it either um you know i i know that like all all my homeboys <laughs> you know i think more people heard about that record in prison than knew about it on the streets you know because there was uh by the time that record actually came out uh there you know that it was it was problematic you know uh i hadn't I hadn't started getting loaded again yet when it came out, but it wasn't much long after that record came out that uh, that I started shooting dope again. You know what? Uh, what year? The early two thousand? Is that early? So 2000s? that record came out, I believe, in ninety eight, um, and so. Uh, I know I'm pretty sure we recorded it in 98. I paroled in 96. I didn't even go to shows or do anything, you know, like I had a baby, you know, my, my first kid, uh, uh, you know, I got married in the pen. We had a conjugal visit baby. And so um, I got out, I've got like, you know, nine month old kid. Uh, and I'm just trying to fucking trying to make that transition, you know? And uh I'd stop getting loaded while I was inside, you know, like, uh, I mean, that it took about five years before I got cleaned up in there, you know, but I was, uh, I was fucking around hard for a long time. And then I got my first conjugal visit and that was a big game changer for me. You know, it was definitely like, okay, like this is what's real, you know, uh, what's out there on the yard like uh, that's you know i was i i didn't have i had a determinant sentence uh but if i'd kept doing what i'd been doing uh, i you know i definitely would have spent the rest of my life on the yard you know and uh, and i had like that that moment of clarity that that instance where i'm like dude i do not really want to spend the rest of my life on the yard uh so i stopped getting loaded and i you know so i was i was clean for a long time uh it, you know for and we put that record out but then uh but then i picked up again and uh you know things just started to fall apart you know for me and for a lot of other addicts and alcoholics that's yeah what that, happens it's i think a non-stop journey i mean even if you've done time before and i i I think a lot of people don't really understand that they they understand it a little bit more from an addict's perspective of once you're an addict you're an always an addict and people like danny trejo that have not touched since the 70s or the 80s or something like that still identifies as as that but i don't think a lot of people understand the connection to people that have done time and still going through what you would go through and I guess what an addict goes through is it's constantly always there. It's always at this level that it could, it could emerge if you don't pay it mind. Cause I, you know, I, I personally have, I'm going to be out for man, 20 years. I did five years, but yeah, I've been out almost on January 17th, 20 years, but I still go, I still go through that, that process of, um, of just, not knowing how to deal with certain things or, or, uh, I guess attack certain things or approach certain things without letting how I used to sort of attack things 
dictate like my present situation. So it's always like this constant battle. So you, you, how did you, for the, the people that don't know that the history of, of Sammy McBride and, and Fang, um, you, Fang started in 1980, right? Well, I mean, or Fang started the- actually, is it, uh, what's up? Oh, no, go ahead. Fang, yeah, Fang started, I didn't start the band. Fang was started in Connecticut by this guy, Tom Flynn. They actually put out a seven inch. He moved to California uh, and started Fang back up in California. And I joined the band in around 1980. And, uh, and then, Tom actually quit the band in 1984 and I took the band over in 1984 and uh, to this day, you know, so since 1984, I've had a lot of different people back me up, but, uh, but I mean, I, 1984 to the 1989, you know, when I fell and went to prison, uh, you know, the, the history, that's the history of the band, I guess. So when it started, we were, far more well known by other bands that covered our songs than we were known ourselves. So we had a lot of bands that covered Fang songs that got really famous, you know, and I went to prison. So, you know, uh, cause there were, some of them were our contemporaries like Metallica, they cover a Fang song and uh, they're, they're from the Bay Area too, right? Yeah, and, oh, and they were my contemporaries. We partied yeah, together. You know, yeah, there yeah. was a, a big crossover scene, the punk rock and heavy metal, in, uh, especially in like Berkeley and Oakland. Um, and then Green Day covered a Fang song. They were, they were younger than me. I didn't really know those kids, but they were like around when, you know, like I went to prison. They, you know, they were like little kids running around the scene. Um, and Nirvana uh, covered a Fang song, and I, we never played with Nirvana. I never met those guys, but they were, I guess, heavily influenced by us, you know. And and then I went to prison, and and then Kurt Cobain, you know, died. He shot himself and killed himself. How, did, so. how does that work for somebody somebody that doesn't know, as far as like a band covering your your songs, and then they get re- maybe like a live recording? Did you do you guys ever see anything from? from that so financially uh the only band that i've i've really ever gotten much of a uh a kickback from was green day and and um green day uh you know and and but we're still like those kids they made a lot of fucking money as far as when it trickles down into what you get it's it's not a whole lot but it's still been uh it was far more than i ever expected to see some you know, some shitty punk rock song you write when you're 16 years old, you know? Yeah. So uh, you, you guys have, you've been doing it. Like, so you went through this whole process of like doing time and then getting out and then still wanting to continue the band. What do you think the, the driving force behind that is? Because I think, and you, you're a traveling band. Um, You, you guys just came through here a couple months ago and i got i got to see you guys play but unfortunately i didn't get to to see you before i knew it. you kind of d- disappeared and i couldn't find you but um you you're you're sort of like this workhorse like if you were compared to like a 35 millimeter camera there's the nikon f uh f3 camera and 
it's it's one of the most stablest, you know, uh, reliable. You know, it was in production for a lot of years, and people always rely on that as their go-to. And I, I kind of make those similarities with with you and Fang because you're just you're constantly a presence, whether it goes up and down. You guys are you're always maintaining this momentum uh, going for, forward. What do you think for you drives that? Because it takes a lot of energy, especially as you get older, touring. Sure. Um, what what drives that for you? I mean, I, I think that it is, uh, it's, <laughs> it, it keeps me alive. It keeps me sane, you know, that, that, that the drive is, uh, uh, is the, you know, the cathartic part of playing, you know, that I know for me, uh, when I'm playing music, when I, when I'm doing that, uh, it, I feel the most alive. You know that I feel the most um, uh, present, and when I stop doing it for a while, um, I find that that uh, my mental health suffers. You know, so so it it drives me, keeping me sane more than I drive it. I guess you could say. Yeah. You know, um, I, I I fucking love to do it. I love to travel. I I love you know I love touring. It's definitely not for everybody, you know, um, but I, 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 I love punk rock. I love the idea of punk rock that it is, um, you know, it's protest music, you know, uh, I mean, the, the reasons I got into, into punk rock when I was a kid, like, fuck the system, fuck the cops, you know, that shit hasn't changed for me, you know, uh, I still very much believe in it. And in some ways, uh, I'm even more now committed to that than I was as a teenager. Do you, do you think that the newer bands are are coming up with that same outlook that you you had and then other people had as far as like getting into punk rock? Um, just because of the political landscape, everything that's going on, I would feel like this would be a really good time to, you know, talk about like the system in general but i think even the way that i look at it that there's been this manipulation and this even conditioning for like punk rockers nowadays to sort of only look at things on on one side versus being able to really see what the the institutions and what the government has done as far you know like I, I think about like public enemy playing at the democratic convention right and it's like that that doesn't make sense to me but then there's other people that that back that completely and then you got other people that are only spotlighting this one side of this political side versus the actual system itself and do you do you see that in a similar way um and i i think so i mean i think that we're we're dealing with a lot of issues that are systemic issues you know and um and yeah having certain bands playing for certain things i i don't necessarily uh, agree with that i i will say that um for me one of the most important things 
is to listen to the kids. Because uh, for me, I remember when I was 15, 16, 18, you know, uh, when, when things were real and I was young and, and, and the world, you know, we all thought we were going to die from a nuclear war. But the, you know, the kids are the ones that, that are usually on the cutting edge of shit. You know, they're the ones uh, like I've gone out, you know, and I've been to a lot of protests in the last five years. And I, you know, I've been out on the front line, but I'm like the oldest guy there, you know, and, uh, and it's the kids. And I think what I've seen, um, especially in like the older, a lot of the older guys in the scene is they become their fathers. You know, ah, those fucking kids don't know shit. Ah, get off my yard, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not who I want to be. You know, like, uh, I, I think really, if you want change, if you want, if you want to really know what's going on, you got to listen to the kids, you know, and even if what they're saying is something that you're having a hard time understanding, remember when you were a kid, you know, and you fucking got a mohawk and you pierced your ear and your dad beat your ass for it. Or you got jumped because you had green hair, you know, and you're like, fuck you. You don't understand. Don't be your dad. Yeah. Don't be the guy driving down the street going, you kids don't fucking know what you're doing. You're just a bunch of fucking idiots, you know? And, and so, so that's the important thing to me. And you know? I, I think too, isn't, wasn't that the point? Like the, the, the point of, I guess, representing yourself or expressing yourself in whatever way that was, like the color of your hair or earrings or whatever. And like, there was dudes that got beat up for that. Like you, I'm sure had gotten beat got up. Beat yeah, up yeah. my buddy yes. Subway did. I mean, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a different story when I got out um, in, the, in the 2000s. It was a lot more acceptable. And, sure. you know, like, like you're talking about the, the older guys are like, man, it will fucking, you didn't have to deal with this. You didn't have, I mean, they were, you guys basically went through it. So people didn't have to go through that anymore. That was in my eyes, the point that you were, you know, you express yourself how you want to express yourself without being judged or beat up or whatever. And it got to that point. And that's kind of what you wanted, right? Like, or the, the people in that scene, I mean, at the end of the day, that was like kind of the point. It's like, it doesn't matter how I look. It's like who I am as a person. Right, yeah. And, and it's about opening your mind, questioning everything, at least yeah. for me. You know, right. like, it's like, you know, uh, you know question, question everything, you know, and, and don't take anything. And I, and I think that that's, you know, uh, and it, I get to, as you get older, it, it gets harder because you get, it's easier to get, you know, uh, tunnel vision, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I also think it's super, super important to keep an open mind, you know, and, and bringing it back to the penitentiary, you know, that is like the, the last place to have an open mind, you know. <laughs> Having an open mind in prison is uh, is a dangerous. You get beat, beat up a lot. Yeah. You get stabbed or killed. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's it ain't no joke. Depending on where you're at, you know, and and so <laughs> that's uh, you know, <laughs> it, uh, that that's a whole whole different 
set of circumstances, you know? Yeah, I would actually like to get back to that and then just talk about your experience. But I did want to talk talk a little bit about it since you touched on it, because I think that is also an important side to the energy of punk rock. And one of the reasons that I was attracted to it was it was all about questioning yourself. And at that time, when I got into it, when I was in, in prison, I mean, that, that person that I was, I had, I had no idea who that was anymore. There were so many masks, so many layers I put on. And then to see like what I adopted at a certain point was like, I'm, this is not me. So it was like for me to start questioning myself, start to question my beliefs, start to question like all these things that led me up into that point. And that that's what I was alluding to earlier when I was, cause I think it's a youthful spirit to have is to always quit. Like that's what a kid is like, why is this this way? Why is yeah. this? The, and then we why, get to why, the, why, 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 why? You're like, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> but I, I encourage my daughter to do that. And I'm like, if I don't know it, we will look it up and we will, we'll find out what it, right, and I right, love right. that. I love that energy. And I think as, a lot of people get older, especially in the punk rock scene, they lose that because they get stuck in their myopic view of how things should be at a certain point. Cause it's just easier. I mean, it's, it's a pain in the ass, like on the soul to constantly question everything that's going on. It's a work. It is. It's a, it's fucking work. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It's, it's funny. Uh, I, I'd never seen that movie, the matrix. You know, and and uh, I actually watched it last night. Uh, oh, shit. is like, we, we've got to watch this movie, yeah, you know. It's and, a must. and uh, I never saw it in there, you know, like, I don't know if, you know, it's probably been a long time since you've seen it, but you know, there's there's the rat, you know, the guy who fucking, you know, he rats out everybody. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Um, but he was like, dude, this is like living in a real world it's too much work. I'd rather rat on these fools and just fucking, you know, close the door. So I don't have to think, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, like living, questioning, living, it's work, you know, it's, it's fucking hard work. You know, I, I, I get that, you know, and it, and it's easier. Uh, it's often easier for people to, uh, take the easy way out you know, and, uh, and I get that too. Not saying that, uh, <laughs> not to say that everybody took the easy way out is like a rat, but, you know, yeah, but yeah. The, the point is that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's work, you know, and there, there are times too, when I know it's like, dude, I just, you know, like I, I get, you know, anybody gets tired, you know, and, and sure it's, it's where you want to rest on your laurels, you know? Um, but I, I truly hope for me uh, that I might take breaks. In fact, kind of what I've been doing lately is, you know, when COVID hit, we sort of changed our role for a little while. And uh, although we're working our asses off, it is kind of taking a break from the kind of work I was doing before, which is more frontline work, you know. What so do you do um, to, I actually want to talk about, uh, I wanted to, there was two things I want to know because do you do um do you do Fang like full time or do you, are there yeah. no no Fang Fang we don't I, I we don't make any money you know Fang's like we don't we're not like a money making band you know we uh, we 
we uh, when we're out on the road we make enough money to survive on the road you know and uh and so but no i mean uh for i've done a lot of things over the years uh it, i had uh, a sober house for men in oakland for a long time that i uh, owned and operated had a couple tattoo shops up in uh, in the Bay Area, one in Oakland and one in Alameda. Uh, and uh, I've worked as a drug and alcohol counselor and done shit like that. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, I've, I've, but uh, I was working uh, as a drug and alcohol counselor down in Southern California when COVID hit. I'd moved down to SoCal. And, oh, okay. And I lived there for a year and I was working down there and I, uh, COVID hit and I just, I had gotten burned out. You know, that's a, it's an easy, I'd been working with guys for a long time with the, the sober house and then as a counselor and I, and I needed a break, you know, because I felt, uh, I was getting jaded, not questioning myself enough, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, so, uh, since COVID hit, uh, I moved to Arizona, you know, so um getting back to you doing time was that something that you at one point was like i have to um i guess like help out people that were in the same position that i was at one point and then you know uh, another thing is how did you end up doing time for the people that don't know um yeah do you want to do you want to talk, talk sure about that? yeah so uh i uh I started dealing drugs super young, you know, and so I've been uh, a career drug dealer uh, from the time I started at 12 uh, slinging dope, you know, and um, that was, that was always, uh, that was always something I did, you know, uh, the, the thing that kind of worked in my favor, I, well, I was, brought into the Northern California acid family when I was 15 years old, I was given a gun, you know, uh, and, you know, we, we, we moved uh, a shit ton of fucking drugs all over the country. And so, um, was this when, when you were in Fang or? Yeah. Yeah. Did, I mean, actually was playing music and, and right. And so uh, what happened for me was it worked out really well because I, uh, I went to work for the, the family and, and, you know, uh, I'd start, I was like running acid to New York, uh, and working for them, but they also knew I played in a band. So when we'd go on tour, I made connections in all the cities that we played in. Like we'd roll into a city and I'd ask the promoter, I said, who's the local pot dealer? You know, and I tell him, I want to buy some pot, you know, and he'd introduce me to that guy. I'm like, Hey, look, like I'm on the road right now, but if you're interested, when I get back to California, I'll send you some acid, maybe some other stuff. And if you're interested, we can set up some, some business, you know? So uh, that's what I did, you know, as, I mean, I started doing that at 16 when we started touring. So I built up my own network of customers across the United States, you know? So by the time I was 18, I had a whole network of, of customers that was, that was across a the U.S. That was a perfect setup, right? You were a tra traveling <laughs> salesman for... It worked very well. Us. It worked very well. Yeah. It did. So, uh, and then um, 
I ended up moving to, I moved the band to Europe uh, in 1985, you know, and, uh, and I actually, I took 100,000 hits acid to Europe with me and started dealing over there, set up, uh, I had a girlfriend in Germany who was dealing for me and, I, and then we were going back and forth to Europe. And I was continuing to deal in the U.S. What, so, what was the what was the reason for wanting to to move the band over to Europe? Uh, what was the reason? And you and you had lived right. You had moved with your dad when you were younger. That's how you got into punk rock. Was when you moved you moved to Europe to right? Wales when to I was Wales. twelve. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. and that's where I got introduced to the Sex Pistols. So gotcha. I've always. Uh, I've always liked, you know, I mean, I started touring really young. I always liked to travel. Um, it, we had toured the U.S. and Canada a bunch. And so it just seemed like the sort of next thing to do. You know, uh, it was all punk rock, you know, in 85 was all DIY. You know, like I got a phone number for somebody in Germany and, you know, and and I had resources. That was one thing because I was a drug dealer. Uh, you know, I, I had resources that maybe some other bands didn't have, you know, so since I could put together 100,000 hits of acid and, you know, get on a plane to the UK and then to Germany, uh, it made it a little easier for us, you know, than, than other bands that were trying to do what we were doing. Because we got to you know, Europe, and it, nobody had ever heard of us, you know, we were some American punk rock band. But, uh, you know, it, it, Germany worked really well, you know, and so, um, like, we, we, we get there, and uh, immediately, I felt like I, I found, like, when I got to, to Bremen, where we ended up living, like, I'm like, these are my people, because they drank like I drank, they were fucking idiots. They they got in fights all the time. It was just like, like it was like this is home, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like these, they were more my people than than my people in Oakland, you know. Uh, and I I really loved it there, you know. So uh, and also it worked from it worked on a lot of levels, you know. It worked business wise, uh, you know. If they acid was hard to come by. You know, and uh, it was easy for me to, to to set up shop, you know, and and to do, do you, well. Do you mind, or do you mind if I ask you what that process was like? To so that the, the acid that you got was from the United States, and then you would bring it, it would bring it back to Europe. How or uh, yeah, when, okay. So the the first time we went there, uh, you know, I I had a box of land shark records and uh so i used to through the family we'd get crystal lsd in its crystallized form and we'd make blotter paper or window pane and so uh i you know had uh i, I wanted to take a bunch of acid with me so i i had made a hundred thousand hits i took blotter paper and i and i didn't perf it so there wasn't the little tiny perforation so it was just a piece of paper and i dipped it all and got it ready and then i put those inside the records you know and the fang records you know and then it just looked like an extra piece of paper you know like thick piece of paper and a record and then took that with me to to europe you know and then uh, when i came back you know we were there for a year we toured we recorded a record 
got hooked up, uh, then I would just send it in the fucking mail. You know, I mean, that was one thing about acid that was super easy. You know, it's like nobody was looking for it, you know. Kind of hard to That's, detect, right? Right. Even, Dogs can't know. smell it. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut down my blinds because the blinds right. coming over here. still the same it's all good go ahead that, go that ahead, worked Sammy. that worked great <laughs> yeah uh all right so you moved the you moved the band uh to europe and you're you're over there so uh so things were going well at the same time you know i was uh, uh i also was a uh, an off and on junkie you know i'd started using like i started shooting up when i was 14 uh shooting speed got my first heroin habit when I was 16, you know, and, and I managed to, you know, kick the first time when I was 17, managed to keep it all together, uh, for, for a while, for a number of years. Uh, but what finally happened, um, my girlfriend in Germany got busted her and her roommate. They, they had a party pad. They were dealing out of the house and the fuck the cops finally probably somebody ratted on them cops got wind and they rushed the house the roommate rolled told them everything asked with my girlfriend in germany went to prison in germany uh i was wanted by interpol for international drug trafficking and well i and i got the phone call like uh i i, I got a phone call we were we had a, a tour set up we were supposed to record our fifth record had everything all set up it's like three days before we were supposed to leave. I got the phone call from a friend of mine. It's like, don't come back. You're wanted. Everything went to hell. You know, it's all bad. And, uh, and that was when things really started falling apart for me. Uh, and so, uh, it seems I, like I, a deal breaker. Yeah. I, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. leave the, and, and you know, like for me, I, I'd gone to jail a bunch of times. I caught my first felony when I was 13 years old you know, uh, but nothing like that was, it was different, you know, like I, uh, I knew if I, if I, I, I couldn't leave the country. I didn't know if they were actually going to come and try and get me. I didn't really know how that worked at that time. I was 23 years old. Uh, and also my habit had gotten, you know, I was really strung out on heroin and my habit gotten really bad and things just, spiraled downhill and and what ended up happening was that uh there was this woman she was a customer of mine out of virginia and she'd been a really good customer uh when we hung out we would be together uh and finally i'm like well why don't you move to california uh be my old lady uh and and um you know uh you can work with me and so she moved to california uh and you know, she would take care of business for me when I was out of town. And um, she, uh, she was not an addict. She was not an alcoholic. And she had a lot of resentments towards me because of my heroin addiction. And, you know, I, I would always, you know, all the fucking shit, oh, I'll kick. It's, you know, like, I'm going to stop, blah, blah, you know, all that shit that we tell people. But what ended up happening was that uh, she uh, got tired of my bullshit 
you know, and my, my addiction, we were still making a lot of money, but a lot of it was going to feed my uh, heroin addiction. So she ended up, uh, she'd met all my people, you know, by being my old lady, she got together with my best customer, this guy out of Texas, he would fly out to California a couple times a month, do really big deals. Uh, and they, she, you know, like a couple of times he'd come through when I'd been out of town and she had to take care of the deal, you know, and he'd come stay at our, our apartment. So they ended up getting together. And, uh, and so uh, what, what happened was that uh, he was actually in town. Uh, I got a phone call and it was from this guy out of uh, Salt Lake City that I'd set up in business out there. And I, I, the phone rang, I answered the phone and he's acting real, real weird you know, and he acted so weird. I started getting paranoid. I'm like, dude, like what, what the fuck's going on? You know? And, uh, he finally is like, look, he goes, I gotta, I gotta level with you, you know? Cause I think I said, look, cause when I met him, he was about to lose his house and all this shit. And I'm like, dude, I fucking like helped you out. I set you up. I front you a bunch of shit to get you on your feet, you know? And he's like, no, you're right. He goes, uh, he goes, look, uh, Dixie, that was my old lady's name. Dixie's been telling me, and I assume telling other people that you're ripping people off and that uh, you're fucking people over and that she's going to move to Texas with this guy, you know, with, with uh, my best customer. And we were going to do one more deal. And then she's going to move and only do business with her. And once she got set up in Texas, she was going to give him her number and they were going to start doing business together. So uh, I, I told him, I said, okay, I said, thanks for leveling with me. I'm fucking devastated here. I, I told him, I'll, I'll call you back. I hung up the phone. I'm sitting there. I don't really know what to do. The phone rings again. It's this mutual friend of me and my old ladies, this guy on the East Coast. And she had not told him what's going on. So he's like, hey, what's up? I just wanted to call, let you know, I got that money and I put it in with the other money. Now at this point, I know shit's fucked up, you know? So I didn't say anything, you know, like what money? Cause I knew that shady shit had been going on. So I just asked him like, so how much money is there total? And he said, well, that was another five grand. And there's, so there's 20,000 bucks uh, that's set aside. And I'm like, okay, all right. I said, thanks. And I just hung up the phone. So within a 10 minute period, I get two phone calls that I find out my old lady's been cheating on me. She's about to try and take my business from me. And she's been pulling money off the side and, uh, and you know, taking our money and and uh, putting a, a, an egg, you know, as a nest egg somewhere for when she moves. So I left, I just walked out of the house. I took off because I didn't know what to do. I was fucking, I was pissed. I went, shot a bunch of dope, got a bunch of whiskey, uh, got super fucked up. And I, I came back to the house to confront her about, about it. Uh, and when I walked in the door, the guy from Texas was coming out of my bedroom and he was pulling his boxer shorts up and 
I fucking lost it. Uh, I tried killing both of them. Uh, ultimately, he uh, he ran. He was able to escape. He got away, and she didn't make it out. So uh, that was in 1989. Uh, I immediately ran. I was on the run for six months. Uh, finally, I was arrested by federal marshals in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, on an interstate flight warrant to avoid prosecution. They brought me back to Oakland, and uh, I was charged with first-degree murder. Um, and at the time, uh, there were so many 187s in California that uh, they pretty much were offering everybody manslaughter, please, you know, just to clear the fucking dockets because. It was a record year for homicides. So um, pretty much everyone I knew got offered a manslaughter deal. And, uh, and finally, it took a while for me to get offered a manslaughter deal, but they finally offered me 11 years flat manslaughter. They first offered me a 15 to life deal. I'm like, I'm not taking a life deal. You know, uh, I'll take it to the box. And then, you know, you guys can give me life, but I'm not going to take a life deal. But they finally offer me, you know, the, at that time, 11 years was a top end of manslaughter. And when they offered me that, I'm like, okay, where do I sign? Let's go. I have a, a, a question for you about the state of mind that you were in, like prior to going um, uh, to Dixie's place. Had you up, up until that point, had you ever felt that I guess like the anger or the 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 I, I call it flashes of red and I am no way justifying like the actions of when you're in that state but I've been in states where I have lost my shit and I, I don't have control over like the the outcome it's it's not like an outcome that I want whether it be through like a violent means or like whatever this is also, you know, going back to what I was talking about, like the struggles that I still deal with to this day, because I know that I can get to a point that most people have never even gotten close to. Had you ever felt that that anger inside of you before that happening? Or was this a trigger that you had never experienced before? Mm, good question. Uh, I a few times, but not, not like that. You know, like when I was young, uh, I had a, a situation arise with, with a, a bully, you know, a, a school, a school bully. And, uh, and that time, you know, like I, I, I lost it out of, uh, I was afraid, you know, and I got so afraid that I finally, uh, you know, became enraged and, uh, and um, didn't, uh, it is, um, for me, a, a state of mind that is unlike anything else, you know, and I've only been there a couple times in my life, certainly like in in prison, uh, and, and for me, it, it's come out of out of a lot of rage or out of a lot of fear. fear. You know, like I I've gotten scared enough like that when I was a little kid that I got uh, 
so scared that it was a total disassociation. Uh, and, um, and then, uh, uh, it's, it's total disassociation and, um, and then just doing whatever, just doing whatever, you know, um, where you, it, there's certainly not a lot of thought process going to it. I know, uh, when, uh, when I got to San Quentin, there was a, a child molester that was put on the tier and, uh, I had a, a an older Sally and I was, you know, 25, by the time I got to Quentin, I was 25. I got busted when I was 24. By the time I actually got to Quentin, I was 25, 25 year old kid, really. Uh, and, uh, this child molester put on the tier. We were told to handle it. And, you know, we, we rushed up on this guy and we grabbed him and we, we threw him over the fourth tier. I was scared. You know, I was fucking terrified because I knew what we were going to do, but there's a, a point where, uh, either through fear, at least for me, or through, or through anger, where I can completely disassociate from my actions and uh, and and do things that normally uh, would never happen, you know that I that I couldn't do otherwise, you know um, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Not many, I don't usually talk about that, but mm -hmm. but certainly that is well, I something mean, that, that happened. I, I well, I appreciate it because it um because again it's it's really trying to understand that process because i think that it's easy for people to judge um people that have been have you know done certain things in their life and there's certain people that can't forgive that but i mean i really we were talking about questioning everything and it's like one of those things that i question people that are quick to judge someone that was in a situation say like yours or the the things that I did is that but there's no judgment towards I think society towards government through you know corporations where there's actions that are done to harm people on a daily and for whether it be for resources or, or profit or or whatever and it's it's just interesting to to me that people can't um they the, the, they don't think those two things are connected and they can't see the correlation between those two things that yeah no and I, it's it's i mean it's there again you know, you know people that i think question things like they, they see those things especially if you've done time and then you having to look at yourself when you were locked up like going through that process you know i'm sure you didn't get to that point right away where you're like you know it took you to the point of going to that conjugal visit when you and also to be a punk rocker like to be a punk rocker uh and this is something that we had shane in home on on the podcast where he was i mean at that point i think he was more of a dope fiend than a punk rocker but right. he was still a punk you know had long hair and he had to he basically had to shift, he had to, to change and adapt. And so what was that like for you? Um, going from, you know, a punk rock scene to going to the prison scene, because those are two 
completely different environments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. I, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you bring up. Um, you know, one of the things that I will say, uh, you know, is like society and, and certain aspects of the, some of the elements that I was involved in, um, you know, the Asset family, those guys were, uh, there were some older hippies in it, but there were also gangsters and businessmen. You know, they, they did not fuck around. People got killed. You know, it was not, uh, it was not peace and love, you know, because it was millions and millions of dollars, you know? So when, uh, when I first did what I did, uh, one of the things that we were taught is you never, you know, when I was brought into the family, it was like, you never jump a customer, you never jump a, a connect. And so I didn't feel, um, I didn't feel any remorse for what I had done. Uh, for a long time, um, I felt justified for what I had done. But that is a construct of, you know, the gangster culture, toxic masculinity, uh, the criminal underworld, you know, uh, which, you know, teaches you certain rules and things that, uh, you know, uh, that in certain situations may save your life, but in other situations to, for, for the normal world, like you said, can people see the correlation? People can't see the correlation between poverty and crime. So, right. you know, to, to, to get uh, anybody to see a correlation between uh, growing up in a certain situation and the outcomes, I, I don't right. mean to, uh, you know, I take full responsibility for what I did I, in no way, but I, I think that there are certain uh, things in society that, uh, that definitely uh, created circumstances that, uh, that had a lot to do with why I did what I did, you know. Um, but coming into prison, you know, uh, like you said, as a, as a, a, a punk rock kid, um, from the scene and, you know, uh, this was, you know, uh, 1990, you know, and I, uh, they didn't have level fives at that time in California, you know, and I had level four points, you know, I, rolled into San Quentin and then I rolled, you know, San Quentin's Northern California reception. Uh, but, uh, and then I ended up down in Soledad on the central yard and it was uh, uh, a level four, it's level three and a uh, four yard. They had both on that yard. And, um, you know, that was a, a different world than anything I had ever experienced, you know, um, you, uh, especially being young, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's fucking, it's deadly. And, uh, it's very easy to stop questioning yourself because you're just in survival mode, you know, like, uh, it's, uh, 
you you know your hyper vigilance is 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 always present um and i it, it becomes apparent early on you know like uh, i did i did fine in san quentin like i said me and my celly threw that guy off the tier uh we really uh i had homeboys that had come from the county jail with me um that knew me so that transition although it was rough because you know like i saw my first yard killing after i was you know there i saw a guy get his head smashed in with a dumbbell uh you know I, probably in the first week i was there you know um but really in solidad you know uh it was definitely like um it was easy to get institutionalized easy to fall in um you know and i got tested as soon as i rolled up and and i saw uh i saw what happened if you if you broke you know like there was a a guy that we, we came in around the same time and uh this one dude kept pushing me and pushing me and i ended up stabbing him in the shower you know, uh, same guy stood the line with me when we had a situation on the yard, uh, you know, because he was just trying to see if I was going to break, you know, and that was not that. I mean, at the time, I, I'm like, this is insane. You know, this is, you know, uh, the insanity of, of the penitentiary. But, you know, I, I also saw a guy come in and and he, and he broke and his, you know, to to get victimized like that on a regular basis i'm, I'm like I, I you know uh it was horrible horrible to watch horrible to see horrible to hear you know and um you know you you have to make horrible choices uh when you get on the yard and um And then you have to live with those choices too, you know? And so I think a lot of times it's, it's easier to just get institutionalized. I mean, you know, go with the flow, you know? And, uh, and I did that for a number of years till I had the realization, like, this is insane. Uh, hold on for one second. I got to plug in. Yeah. How much time do you have, Sammy? Sam? Do you uh, have Sammy or Sam? Overtime? Sammy's oh. fine. Uh, for, 14 years. 14 years? Yeah, so I, I got out uh, and was doing well for a while, started fucking up again. And I was uh, off and running for eight years, uh, doing armed robberies, collections down in Texas. Should have gone back to prison many times. Oh, so, we, we, got, I, so when you were, you were busted, did you end up so were you doing dope when you were in there too in there for yeah i uh i was you know i never caught a habit in prison uh but certainly i was shooting dope uh drinking pruno uh getting loaded and part of the drug trade in prison as well you know like after uh after i made my bones and people got to know me and i became a reg you know uh I actually, I, 
dropped points. I was down to level three points. I was on uh, uh, the one yard in Solano, which is a level three yard. And uh, I, you know, hung out with the, the fellas there. They all knew me. And uh, I was, uh, I was in this weird position because there weren't many white boys from Alameda County. And so shit would kick off on the yard and they'd like gaffle everybody up and they'd be going through everybody's files and they'd say, what Alameda? And they kicked me loose. Cause you know, that wasn't affiliate. They didn't, you know, and they figured that I just got. And so I was for a little while, I kind of had a, uh, since the cops never thought I was involved in anything, it opened things up for me to be able to, to make some moves. So, uh, so then I was, you know, uh, involved, uh, in the trade, you know, in the drug trade on the yard and, um, you know, I mean, that's, we just, that's, that's how it goes, but I never got a habit, uh, in the pen. I, I think I, especially like in solid ed, uh, I don't know, I would say 80% of the stabbings that went down on that yard were all behind drug debts or gambling debts, you know, and even before I'd gone to the pen, there was this old dude named Buck. We were in county jail together and he sat me down. He's like, look, you're going down. <laughs> he said, this is what you need to know. He said, don't gamble. You know, he said, don't get into debt. He said, if you do dope, don't get strung out, you know, uh, and, and I, I, for whatever reason, I, I took those words to heart, you know. It was good that you did because I, I saw a good amount of dudes that I thought were really good guys roll it up because they they got into drug debt like, yeah and at this, so then they either you know are gonna take the stabbing or fucking you know uh or they have to fucking yeah take the other route and that that also never uh never was gonna be for me no you know? yeah yeah so you're you're pretty heavily into the into where you're at you were just um this is where i'm at and you that's what happened with me is i just uh, adapted you know there was a point when i was just like um i'm never gonna go home even though i had five years i was especially to the point where i was i yeah it was and and then the stuff i was doing was like all right like but that's what got me to the point where i was like pretty close to being on a uh, being transferred across the street to high desert which was completely different than Susanville. I was on the three yard there and I was fortunate enough to be around a, a lot of solid lifers that, you know, helped me out and made me look at life a little bit differently, but I was this close to going to uh, high desert state prison. I know if I had went across the street, I wouldn't be here right now having this interview. Right. It would have been completely different, but I had gotten to the point where I was just like, I had so much stress and I had gotten to the point where I realized that I had so much stress on my, my shoulders, not because of my environment, because of the choices that I was making. Mm-hmm. And I got to that point that you were talking about earlier being in the conjugal visit. And I, I don't know exactly specifically what happened. I was pretty close to, um, 
you know, connecting with the prison gang in there. And I was pretty close to doing something that would have, I could have got caught for or not, but I was, I was that close and it all sort of transpired at the, at that time when I got into punk rock. And then I started to question, of course, everything that was going on around me, but it was, it was at that point that I was just like, I'm applying all this pressure on myself. I don't have to do the things that um, that could potentially put me in a situation where I'm locked up for the rest of my life. And that's when I had like this moment of, of clarity. Talk about that, that moment of, of clarity, like building up to the point. And I don't know if we uh, had mentioned how much time you got. Well, I, I, yeah, so I put out to manslaughter. I got an 11-year sentence. Oh, okay. At that time in California, there was half time. Uh, so, um, so I served seven years on 11 because I did end up in the hole for five months in Soledad and, uh, you know, picked up, you know, more time here and there. So I didn't get out in five and a half. But, um, uh, you know, it wasn't like, it's funny because I don't, you said like what led up to it. Uh, I, you know, like I really, I was in, involved, you know, like we were doing shit on the yard. I hadn't been caught for anything yet, but in my mind, in my mind, I was never getting out of prison. I was institutionalized. It's like I had a date, but in my mind, you know, it's like I, I was just very involved in that lifestyle you know and um and uh you know we had done a bunch of shit on the yard and like i said i just i just hadn't been fucking caught for anything yet you know but it was it was jet you know i mean it was i knew it was gonna happen you know uh and i wasn't even tripping on it but uh i got married um it took me like my wife and I uh when I was we'd started writing this woman that I knew on the streets when I was in county jail we started writing letters she came to see me in San Quentin I moved down to Soledad she's come down to Soledad she was living in San Francisco uh and we got engaged to be married uh I started going through the process to get married when I was in Soledad but then uh, I got busted for inciting and spent a bunch of time in the hole. Uh, and then uh, they actually ended up, I was in the hole so long that my points ended up dropping and they ended up dropping the charge because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't prove it. So then I got transferred to a level three yard in Solano. And uh, so it was, it took us years to get married. <laughs> and then after we were married, uh, it took us quite a bit of time to actually get our first conjugal visit, all that shit takes. So, so I'd been down five years before we had that first conjugal visit. And um, so I didn't, like, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to do anything different. You know, I wasn't, you know, uh, but I was in this little apartment, you know, and with my wife, you know, and uh, I think it was such a culture shock, you know, like so alien at that point to me. And 
in Solano, it's a new prison and they have the conjugal visit apartments built into the prison itself. It's not like in other prisons, yeah, where they have the trailer outside. Mm -hmm. They're like built in. And over the kitchen uh, sink is a window and you can see out to where the yard is. You can't see, you know, you're not like looking onto the yard, you know, because then you'd have all the guys on the yard. <laughs> but you can see over to where the, yeah, see over where the yard is. And I'm sitting on the couch and she, my wife's up there making dinner. And I look out the window and I see the yard. And it was just like, it was like a switch. It was like, holy shit. Like, this is a reality and that's yeah, a reality and yeah. i don't this is a much better fucking reality you know and uh and it was such a fucking game changer like i said i i didn't question what i had done uh up until that point to be honest you know like i i said i didn't uh, i felt justified for what i had done and man like uh when I realized it's like, dude, I don't want to spend the rest of my life on the yard. Then I had to look at everything, you know, and, um, and it was, uh, that was, that was a very difficult time. You know, I, I, I decided I actually wanted to get out of prison, but, uh, I was involved, you know, and it's not like I could go back out on the yard and say, Hey, fellas, you know, I love you, but uh, you yeah. guys, I'm just going to have to sit this one out. It doesn't, it doesn't fucking work that way, right. you know? And so um, that, that period of time for me uh, was probably the hardest time I ever did because, um, you know, I, I was working through uh, trying to deal with uh, the guilt for what I had done. Uh, I was still involved in the dope trade on the yard. I stopped getting loaded though. But every time shit came in, I would, I would get broken off my, my share, you know? And so I was still out selling dope on the yard. Uh, and, and, and when shit went down, I had to be there uh, if, if shit went down. So that was a, a, an exceedingly hard time for me because I kept doing what I was doing, but I didn't want to do it. Uh, and I was actually then afraid of getting caught yeah. before I had total acceptance going at some point, I'm just going to get caught, whatever, no big deal. But uh, that was, uh, I think I probably grew like age 10 years in, in like that, that period of time. But what ended up happening was uh, I, my points dropped again because I didn't get caught. And I dropped down to level two points and I was transferred to Vacaville. And if you, anybody knows about Vacaville, Vacaville the is the medical place, right? They would send all. Yeah. Like, okay. And it's, uh, it's like Disneyland. It, it's funny because uh, I, I had a count. The only counselor I've ever had who ever did anything for me uh, when I was in the pen, this counselor's like, look, you're about to drop down to level two. Like, what do you want to do? And I'd heard that at Vacaville, you could get conjugal visits monthly. You know, in, in Solano, you get them uh, about every three months. But I heard because it's a medical facility, there wasn't that many people that could get conjugal visits, that they were a lot faster. 
And so I said, Hey, I heard Vacaville's a place I want to go to Vacaville. And so he said, well, let me see what I can do. And he found uh, a job for me in Vacaville reading books on the tape for blind people. So yeah, I was like <laughs> weird fucking state of events, but he, yeah. he's like, well, let me see if I can get you this job uh, in, in Vacaville. And if, if I can, then they'll, they'll transfer you over there. So uh, it's, it's story gets even weirder. So he pulls me back like a couple of days later, he goes, look, there's, there's an opening over there, but they want to hear you. What he said, what they're looking for is for somebody to, uh, Sorry, do children's one, books. One second. This is, uh, glitching. Hold on. Yeah. I don't, there was like a phone call that came in. This is not my computer. I had to grab someone else's computer. Is it still record? Okay, it's still my bad. All right, you're good. Okay. So, so my counselor goes, he goes, there is a job opening over, over there, but they want somebody to do children's books for blind kids. Okay. So I'm like, and he goes, and he goes, they want, uh, they want to be able to hear what you sound like, you know? And, and so, like I said, I'm like super institutionalized still. I'm very, but I, but I want to, I want to try and do something different. And so he tells me this, he goes, so what we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to bring a tape recorder in and you're going to have to read some sort of kid's story on the tape and I'm going to take it back to them. I'm like, okay, this is even weirder, but fuck it. Whatever you like, got to do. Whatever, you know, and we're having this discussion and somebody gets stabbed on the yard. So oh, we're having this discussion. All of a sudden the alarm hits. Everybody's like laying down. Oh, I'm stuck in the office. I'm like, great. He goes, Okay, he goes, well, I don't know what's going on out there. You're going to have to wait for custody to walk you back to your cell. But I'll put you out tomorrow to read some kid, kid's book. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. So I go back to the cell. We're slammed because some dude got fucked off. You know, I'm like, I'm going to get pulled out of my cell tomorrow to read a kid's book. I can't get to the library. I certainly got any fucking kid's books in my cell. So, uh, so I wrote a child, a, a, a children's story that night. Uh, and, and, and I wrote this story. It was called stuttering Ben. It was about a, a kid who got bullied and he had a dog. And the next day I get pulled out of the cell and I've got this story that I wrote and it's got like, I'm doing like dog noises and little kids voices and all this shit. Man. Uh, and, <laughs> And, and he was like, yeah, I think he was kind of blown away. Uh, and so he said, okay, well, so he took that to the, the uh, guard who ran the program. And, uh, and so she came to interview me and, uh, but she, like I'd gone to the hole for, for months in solid ed for inciting. And so she she really didn't want to hire me, but I guess she was so impressed with the fucking, the story and the fact that I'd written it myself and all that. She, you know, she came and she sat down and she's like, you know, like I've read your C files. She goes, I didn't want to have anything to fucking do with you. You know, I think you're a problem. I, you know, you've got ties to these guys and we don't play that shit. And I'm like, I'm like look, I'm just trying to fucking, you know, just trying to fucking make a change here. And, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, 
she's like, all right. She goes, I'm going to give you a shot. She goes, uh, I, I listened to the tape. I was impressed. So I transferred over to Vacaville and, uh, and I started a fucking program where we did children's books on the tape for blind kids. Uh, and that was how I, where like, can I, where can I get, where can I listen to this? Where, this gotta be somewhere. <laughs> so there was this whole program that was run out of Vacaville, uh, called the blind project. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it still exists anymore. I got, uh, one homeboy that I'm still in touch with. That was also that he worked in the blind project. And I, I, he, so I, I set up, we were doing children's stories We'd have like four mics and I would rewrite a children's story like in radio play form. And we would do these like everyone had different characters and we did sound effects. And we, we made a whole catalog while I was there of different children's stories for for blind kids, you know, to listen to. And uh, uh, so that uh, and Vacaville, you know, I mean, uh, there are. Vacaville was like Disneyland you know it was not uh it was not a it was an easy yard to do time on you know there was uh I I you know there was a couple incidents that happened but you know it was not uh it was easy you know like I associated there with whoever I fucking wanted to I'd also been down at that time for a number of you know I've been around for a long time I wasn't a kid anymore. Uh, people knew me from other prisons. So I, it kind of, you know, the way that prison was and and the, the fact that I'd been around uh, pretty made it so I could do whatever the fuck I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, uh, and so that's, uh, that where, so I was that, able at, Is that where you paroled from? Yeah, and that, that is where I paroled from. Man, I, I want to hear like uh, where the wild things are uh read by you that would be freaking epic oh yeah we i i don't even know you know i if that program still i hope that program still exists it was a cool program i don't think when i left i think that the children's uh we put a whole catalog together i i had a copy of the catalog for years i i paroled with it you know the children's books it was called the listening corner you know, and we had a, a you know, and I, I had actually a copy of that catalog that uh, that had all the books listed. But um, I, I don't know. It was a it, it was a solid program. It was mostly lifers that were involved doing it. You know, uh, been down for a long time. Yeah, but yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it really does. I it just as a, a fan of reading and a fan of hanging out with my daughter who's nine we that's what we do like she the first thing that she does in the morning is she grabs her book and she starts reading and she's gotten in the habit of like having uh myself or her mom like read with her so we'll do like the characters and i mean i love that type of shit so the fact that you that's did awesome. that is like so so cool did that did that spark anything inside of you to be like man i might be onto something with like my voice and like being able to do something creatively like that or is this an extension of writing punk rock or just music in general i mean i i think that uh I, it wasn't that i never thought about it but also yeah. it's just uh you know coming out of prison uh, especially after having, you know, killed somebody, having killed your girlfriend, uh, 
you are starting with such a at, at such a fucked up place yeah you know that um even you asked about like playing music again you know that was a a hard decision i didn't go to shows and i didn't start doing anything for a while you know uh and i really thought um that i wasn't going to you know um and then i uh i started hanging around i started hanging with a a friend of mine who who was sober and he really was he, he really pushed me he's like dude you should you should start start playing music again and so we me and a couple other old friends just started fucking around and uh and it 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 lit it all back up for me you know and the other thing about it is i mean it it's a uh there's i've taken a lot of flack you know over the years uh certainly i i've, I've dealt you know with a lot of uh people that are pissed that, that have you know uh things to say about what i did you know and uh and i think that's important i also think it's important to have made myself available it's like if you if you want to talk about it i'll sit down and talk to you about it you know like let's let's talk about it you know you're mad at what i did don't think that i'm not mad about what i did you know um you think what i did was wrong don't think that i don't think what i did was wrong you know um but let's talk about it let's talk about uh what happened let's talk about the system let's talk about the prison system let's talk about rehabilitation let's talk about second chances you know i also think you know as far as it's also important um that you come out of the system you're institutionalized you're you're fucked up it's easy it's so easy to to go back you know and uh and that's another thing uh when i got out you know after after i'd been out for a while i started playing it's like no i think it's important that people know you can go to prison you can go to prison for a long time and you can get out and and stay out of prison and and you know do what do the things that you you want to do what you know was there just motivation just to start up fang again or or did you ever think about just completely starting something fresh something different than what you had um done before i i mean when i first started screwing around with my buddies we were just like i i, I thought it was going to be something different and uh my one my one buddy's like you know you're in a uh a, a position where because you know people did know about fang the you know nirvana cover had come out that you know uh if you want to go back to playing music um you you know it would be a lot easier to do it if you just resurrected right. fang right you know and um where where were you at when that cover came out uh how how much longer were you you weren't inside you were already out no i was in the pen I, yeah i was in you were, i was in the pen 
how did you think, find how did you find out about that well i i found out about nirvana when i was in solidad i i mean i didn't know that they <clears throat> knew anything about fang but there was a radio station my celly had a radio when i first got to solidad and we would listen to the radio he would mostly listen to country and western but uh -huh. they had a, <laughs> a a rock station and down there in the salinas valley and the first time i heard nirvana on the radio i'm like dude that's a punk rock band on like normal radio i'm like what the fuck you know so i had heard of nirvana and um uh, and had listened to them for a few years before some a friend of mine wrote me a letter and said <clears throat> hey that band nirvana they do a cover of the money will roll right in but i i don't think i actually heard it until I don't know if I actually heard it until after I got out and by then uh, he, Kurt Cobain had killed himself. So, um, you know, it was, uh, so I, I, you know, I, I went back and forth on playing it and, and opening myself up to, uh, to the inevitable, uh criticism you know to the inevitable uh possible well when we played our first show back in san it was in san francisco uh we played with the dwarves and uh it was at a club called the trocadero big show fucking sold out was, uh, i think that place held like 800 people or something like that you know and I, I get to the venue and the promoter is this guy, Jorge. And Jorge's like, hey, we got to talk right now. Come up to my office. And we go up to his office and he's like, look, there's been 10 death threats called in uh, about this show. And he goes like, he goes, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I said, fuck it. Let's get some paint and we'll paint a target on my shirt. So that way make sure that if somebody's going to fucking do something stupid, they get the right guy, you know? And, um, and he's like, what? I'm like, I'm kidding about the target thing, but I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, if I'd have had a target shirt, I probably would have wore it too, just because I, I had to make a decision. It's like, well, I, I can play music and I can put myself out there. I can put myself in a position to have difficult conversations. I can put myself into a position to, to have to sit down with people who I know hate me. Uh, but that was what punk rock was about in the first place for me. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I, if I wasn't willing to put my ass on the line to pierce my ear, I, I would never have been a punk rocker in the first place. You know, so it's like, okay, here's a situation. It's like, are you gonna put your ass on the line? You know, to maybe have some conversations, maybe uh, talk about some redemption, some forgiveness to show people it's like, okay, uh, horrible things happen. Uh, and we can either hate somebody forever, or maybe we can, uh, you know, see that, that, that uh, the system is fucked up and uh, second chances are important. Rehabilitation is fucking important you know, all these things. Yeah, it, it could have, it, it could have been, a, I, I would imagine a lot easier just to sort of fall under the radar. Even if you started a new band, 
under a different name, it would have been a lot easier, right? You wouldn't have had to as much, you know what I mean? Like to, I, to I think it, it, even if I it just playing music, if I, you know, no matter what the name of the band would have been, I guess I think and that's what it came better because I thought no matter what the name of the band is going to be, if people know I'm in the band, it, it's going to be the same thing. So I might as well just call it Fang and, and, and do it anyway. You know, I think it's kind of where I, I got to at that point. So that, that actually kind of le leads into um, another question I, I have, because I had found out that you had did a reality show at, at one point or, or something like that, like um, I saw a trailer um, where you were, I guess, trying to connect with other people that were either addicts. It, it's a really short trailer and I didn't find anything else on the trailer <laughs> about it, but um uh, what what was that whole situation because i i know that one of the uh it leaves you in a, a cliffhanger where you were gonna actually try to talk to the the mother of the victim of your of your girlfriend um and then like i said i, I didn't find anything what what was that that holy so we like had i i was working with the guy uh this guy steve gerbson and we uh had we were working on this reality TV show, it never, uh, it never happened. It, you know, like we, uh, we got some traction on it. Um, you know, I, I, I got a whole uh, lesson in Hollywood and in that whole game. Uh, and ultimately it, it sort of died on, on the vine, so to speak, you know, and um what was the which, premise for it for the, uh, the premise for that? it was 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 it's the reality tv show uh which i mean it's what i did anyway helping guys especially guys getting out of prison trying to reintegrate into society mm -hmm. uh specifically mostly drug addicts though you know drug addicts that are uh you know like i i i came out of the pen i was i was clean and sober but i didn't really work a program did a, a few years was doing well and I picked up again. And then I told you, I was, I was off and running for about eight years. Finally, uh, 14 years ago, I got clean and sober and actually, you know, like got into recovery and got very involved. So through that, the idea of the, the show was just, uh, this guy had found out about me through a mutual friend. He came up from LA, uh, to see what I was doing. And he's like, okay, let's, let's see if we can get somebody to pick this up, you know? Um, and, uh, it just, we, we never, you know, we, we had some, we had some interest, you know, and, but it just, just like a lot of, you know, there's a million good ideas in, in Hollywood or in LA and, you know, five of them get picked oh, up. Yeah. Yeah. Know? I mean, it takes so, a lot, it takes a lot for something to be greenlit, like you can do a pilot and then, I mean, people right. can just sit on that pilot yeah. like forever. Um, it's just, it's really, I think, a, a great idea. It's, it kind of like reminds me of Mike V, uh, the skater who is, I don't, he's, uh, he, he was the singer of Black Flag. He was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I know, but, I, I, I know, I don't know him, but I know of yeah, him. He, yeah. He, had, he had a reality show where he was kind of going, like a cross country it was like a, a trip thing he would meet up with like skaters in really small areas and just like to connect with the skate community um it kind of reminds me of that um 
and then well on the hollywood tip too and i I actually sat through the whole movie uh because i didn't you know i knew about fang i knew about you but i didn't really know that you there you have two pieces of uh, like a body of work uh that you did um you were in two movies right um you were in very i I wouldn't call that a body that's maybe like the the toenail of a pinky Uh, toenail of your work Uh, the the, the one uh because i'm I'm, you know i went to film school that was something that i did like after i got out so just the when i found all that out i was like i had to try to search out the movies to watch them i only found um I only found the one and it was uh what was it? it was oh blood and tears and they actually have you listed in the credits but you're only in the very beginning when the guy is getting out of jail or he's getting out of prison um, i don't even know that one there's <laughs> really? so there was there was uh i, I had a there was a movie called downtime yeah and i couldn't and, find that one to watch but yeah that was on the it's, list. yeah that was uh it was uh it was just it went straight to dvd mm-hmm. you know but in that i had a much bigger role in that but it's funny right. the, the guy who made that he was actually a, an old drug dealing partner of mine he did five years in the feds got out went to film school oh shit. and then and then made that movie uh and uh then so i so i i had a uh, a much bigger role in downtime and it's it's you know, it's it's funny. I play like the shot caller for the white prison gang. And, you know, oh yeah. So yeah. T- t- talk about that ex- the experience of of I guess acting in it because you wouldn't consider yourself an actor or no. maybe it wasn't even something that you ins- aspired to do. And I was, you know, I, it, it happened. I don't know. I was still f- pretty fresh. You know, I think that was maybe within six to nine months of me paroling or something like oh, that. Is oh wow and. You're like, I so, don't need to act. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, well, and that was yeah. the, the cool thing about that is that we filmed it on Alcatraz. Oh, that's and really cool. So, and like, I got in touch with my buddy because I heard he was out and I heard he was doing good shit. So I got in touch with him. He's like, bro, I'm, he was like, you've got to come be an extra in my movie. You know, I'm making this movie. We're filming on Alcatraz. I'm like, totally go out to Alcatraz and I'm just doing this scene. I'm just going to be an extra. But you know, I, I was still pretty fucking healthy, you know, and, and he films this scene where I'm an extra. He's like, and he ends up writing this whole character for me into the movie because I, I was so fresh from the fucking yard. It was like, you know, I wasn't acting. It was just, you yeah. know, it was super easy, you know, but uh, so that was, uh, I mean, I, I think it, it kicks around somewhere, but it, it's definitely not easy to find. And then uh, I did a cameo in a movie a few years ago called hollow point hollow point yeah and that was uh uh that was that was i don't even know well this director daniel zarelli he uh i'd met him years ago and he hit me up and it's it's a prison movie you know and in this now i'm obviously much older i play like the old prison guy and i'm like tattooing this kid who's got these problems and so what's you know, the just, what's the what's the name of that one so i could hollow point oh hollow point okay and you can that one you can find you know it's a short uh, cameo but it was uh it was it was fun to do you know and the yeah. cool thing about like like 
Daniel, the guy that did that movie, you know, he knows my whole history, you know, we're friends. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to set this scene up. He said, just say what you would, you know, there's no script. He just sets up the scenario. This is what's happening. He said, just go for it and see what, you know, and so we made this like makeshift bullshit tattoo machine, you know, and, and then I'm sitting there talking to the guy. So it's, that's kind of funny, you know, but you know, the body of work, <laughs> the body of work, the toenail of work. So that, yeah. that was, that was something that it didn't spark your interest in, you know, like, I don't know, like Danny Trejo being found by Eddie Bunker when Dan or Danny Trejo went to go help out. Do you know the story behind that? Yeah. I think that's yeah. one of the coolest stories because I love Eddie Bunker. And the fact that like Danny Trejo is in the position that he's in is because he knew uh, Eddie Bunker, you know, that he went to the. I, I mean, I think that uh, when we, I first, when I, I got uh, clean and sober, you know, 14 years ago, and then uh, I, put this side this other band together called the disciples it was all like uh and then we made this video and through that i started doing do, working with that guy to maybe do this reality tv show oh gotcha okay uh i thought that 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 might be uh that that something like that might be the path but uh when it all uh when it all fell apart um you know i i i took it kind of hard because we it was like a, a two-year process you know like from the time and like we kept you know like everything kept you know like when it all fell apart I had two lawyers I had an agent you know we were uh under contract with Bunum and Murray who make the real world like I thought this you know was gonna really go somewhere so when it did uh so Bunim and Murray had done a nine month option and they just sat on it and it died, Damn. you know, but I mean, I, I was like, you know, had multiple meetings with them. And these are the people that they, Bunim and Murray created reality TV, you know, like they made real world and many other reality TV shows. Uh, they were like the big time. So I really thought that, uh, that, you know, uh, things were, we're going to be changing. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, because of the nature of my crime, it's too controversial. Mm. Um, and I also think that things happen for a reason. And, um, I think that, had had everything like that taken off uh i i think it it probably was for the best that it didn't you know um that i i spent a lot more time uh really trying to sit down because after that fell apart uh i was committed to making a bunch of money and opening up the the halfway house for men you know, and, um, and that's what I did, you know, and, and I had, you know, like I worked with a lot of guys, uh, I helped a lot of guys stay out of prison, not go back to prison, get sober, get clean. Um, and, and I think that that's, 
that was far more important than, you know, uh, being on TV, you it's, know? I, yeah. Just, well, on the, I guess the, the, the flip side of that as well is doing something very direct like that without having any spotlight on the fact that you're, cause I had no idea that you are, it was, I think it was uh, my buddy sick boy that told me that you had been running um, a rehabilitation place. I had no, no clue. So if you had been on a reality show, say, Oh, this guy's doing all this stuff, but you know, I know this cause you know, he's putting it out there. You're doing that stuff just to do it without having the spotlight on you. Right. Without, without, without there being uh, a financial reason for it or a, you know, uh, a, an ego reason mm -hmm. for it, you know, that, right. That, that you know, I mean, so it, I, I think it's, yeah, I was just, those are the things that I, I, I battle with, you know, internally my motivations for everything, because I, you know, as someone that grew up in an environment of manipulation, manipulation of the self in order to get to a certain place, right. Or I, to survive, I vote, I still deal with that. You know what I mean? Like my intent is my motivations, uh, why I do this or, you know what I mean? But that's just some other fucking voice that I I've learned to just like, not, not pay attention to, um, that it's just about being committed to what I guess you believe in at a certain point, because you are who you are like right now. And you're, you are not, I am definitely not that person that I was, but it's funny that it'll, that ego part will try to creep back in and you know what I mean? And then it'll prevent me from doing certain things as well. You know, it's the, the intention is a motherfucker when I'm like, what's the true intention of what I'm doing at this point. Right. And um, right. so you, you started, you started that rehabilitation center. Is that, how long did that go on for? For six years. For six years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, finally I, I had a, uh, it was a, a great thing. Uh, I had a, a business partner and he uh, started using. And so uh, ultimately that's why we closed the doors, you know, uh, and, uh, but uh but it was a great experiment, you know, a great experience, experiment, experience, <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, I, like I said, after, after we closed, uh, I moved down to Southern California and was working as a, a drug and alcohol counselor for a year, but it, it had been a long run, you know, and I, and I needed, you know, I needed to just step away for a while. I still, I go in, uh, uh, every Monday, there's a, a, a rehab here in Tucson, and I just go in and, and volunteer Monday nights, you know, just to sort of keep my, keep my foot in the, in the, <laughs> keep my foot in the door. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to, at least for me to, uh, especially work with, uh, and, and be around, uh, people that are, uh, new, you know, that are, are coming in either, you know, coming in off the streets or coming from jail you know, just to, just to keep, keep, uh, keep it real for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's, it's been a long time since I've been to jail, you know, it's been a long time since I've been locked up. It's been a long time since I fucking put a needle in my arm, 
you know, uh, and so I, I need to uh, keep it real, you know, and, and remind myself, it's like, no, that's, that's, you know, like, you're talking about how the ego and, you know, how you can manipulate and, uh, and if I am not careful, you know, I can roll. I can romanticize being homeless, smoking crack under a bridge. <laughs> oh you know? man! And I don't even like crack. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I was gonna say, minus the crack part, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy, like this shit that you can romanticize. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. Oh well, yeah. Being connected, I think, to I, you know, I I just got connected uh, to this youngster actually through the po- podcast. Um, uh, he's a Rudy can't fell on Instagram. I'm supposed to actually meet up with him. Uh, he just got off parole and he's, I guess I've never been to like a drug program. Uh, I mean, I had stopped doing meth, you know, when I went to jail and my, my main issue was like drinking alcohol. And then also I would do cocaine when I was like drinking, I had a skate shop that I lost and I, it just went pretty heavy. And this was when I had a, my child already, who was five. And I, I thought, at that point, I would never fuck around with that shit again. And then I found myself doing it way too much and had, you know, and I, and I don't know if you go through this, but this is something that I go through and I don't know if it's because of the experience, um, where you're so used to digging yourself out of a hole that you're so used to that, that you almost find yourself putting yourself in, in that position where you have to do that again and i don't know if that has to do because i had quit drinking completely where i was like i'm rocking straight edge um july 22nd i was just like i'm not i I focus on eating healthy doing all these healthy things for my body alcohol just does nothing for me it just it really um it ruins it um and in a weird insidious like kind of way too for me it slowly creeps in over over time um did you battle with that like that with that like going into a hole and having to dig yourself out of it (laughs) i i feel like i've been doing that all my fucking life you know i I mean like i said even even with uh uh i even in sobriety like i said i I thought, you know, like we put all this work into the whole reality TV show that fell apart. I had to, it's like, okay, what now? Put all this work in, started the uh, sober house for men. I opened up two tattoo shops, 2018 uh, to, uh, for separate reasons, but I had uh, closed the tattoo shops, closed the sober house for men. And like, fuck, what now? Let's start again moved to Southern California, uh, helped these guys open a treatment center, you know, worked there for a year. And I'm like, dude, I, I'm just, I'm burnt, you know? So moved to Arizona to something completely like start fucking something again. So yes, I, unfortunately I a hundred percent fucking feel that I, uh, have to start over again over again and over again so at yeah. some point hopefully i'll have learned some lesson that i'm missing so that's that I what i'm trying trying to get to at this point in my life <laughs> don't have to start over again yeah again, again, again. Yeah, yeah yeah well i mean if anything you have the band that's 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 the constant that is that that has been a constant yes always a constant and it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because 
I had just listened to a podcast with Milo from the descendants, you know, and he was a scientist for so long and, you know, the descendants are the descendants and they're a huge band. You think, you know, he thinks you would think that he thinks he's like a full-time musician. It wasn't until, you know, really recently in his life where he was like, he gave up working at DuPont and he's like, I'm much more happier making other people happier with with my band and he just stopped working at where he was working at as a scientist and was just like i'm gonna do this full time and it's just interesting it's like well why wouldn't you do that in the first place like this is what makes so many people happy and i'm sure that you're happy doing it too uh but it, it took him a while to like get to that point where he's like okay this is this is it also too i mean i you know uh, punk rock uh, there's, you know, like there's a, a few bands that make, that make money doing it. I mean, the descendants probably make a, 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 you know, but as far as like, uh, supporting yourself and like, if you have a family or anything like that, you know, there's not a lot of money, in it, yeah. you know? Uh, right. And so I think another way to look at it for him, and I don't know if this is true. This is just a guess. His career at DuPont made it possible for him to get to a point where he could go, okay, like I have, like maybe he owns his own house now. He doesn't have a mortgage anymore right. where he can afford to not have to make, you know, as much money and he can do what he loves to do. You know, for me, you know, uh, I've always had to work, you know, uh, but one of the reasons that I do work is so that, you know, that I, I can go in and play, you know, and, and do shows. I mean, given that, uh, you know, I, you know, what was a, you know, violent convicted felon and spent years in prison, uh, I was able to get my passport back. Fang has played, you know, uh, you know, in Brazil and, you, you know, guys played in Cuba, Cuba, right? You were the Cuba, first. Cuba, uh, of Mexico, many times. Europe, you know, like uh, Japan, like we've gone all over the fucking place. Which yeah. you know, uh, and that's the other thing I think is important as far as like if if you've been to the pen, if you've done time, you know, uh, you can still follow your dreams, follow your passion. You know, like I will say that, you know, when. When you go into Japan, they you have to fill out a questionnaire and they ask you if you've ever been arrested before. And there's a, a old friend of mine and he's an old Oakland pimp and uh, spent a bunch of years in and out of prison, but he'd he been clean a long time, been out for a long time. He works as a consultant for rehabs. And, and I called him, I'm like, hey, you know, and I know he'd been to Japan, but I know he's, you know, been in out. He was, he was an ex-con, you know, he'd been to the, been to prison. I'm like, so you've been to Japan. I'm like, what do you do? He goes, well, he goes, I don't normally tell people this, but he goes, you just lie. Just he, said, he said, when they ask if you've ever been arrested for it, just say no, you know? And, and I, and he goes, yeah. And unless they really have some reason to think that maybe there's, you know, something shady about you or whatever he said they'll probably just let you in so both me and my bass player my bass player's a uh, ex-felon too you know we get to japan we just go nope never been arrested and yeah, yeah. they 
Yeah, they didn't take another look at us. That's on every application I ever filled out after getting locked up. I always put no. And I was like, they're either going to take the time to like look at it and then find out the truth and say, okay, well, I didn't lose anything. I never had the job in the first place. But I mean, I ended up working at a Conroy's Flowers in Redondo Beach in the South Bay. Uh, around mother's day they needed a bunch of drivers and i ended up working there like that's the most corporate you know place that you could work and i ended up getting a job there so that whole you can't find a job because you're an ex but yeah it's definitely a lot harder but i mean you have those (laughs) here's another thing that so uh i was i was working uh at this at this drug and alcohol program and i actually they i wore a lot of hats at this one program i worked at but one of them was like, I was HR, like I would, I would. Uh, and so I was in charge of running everybody's, you know, like uh, they, I'd have to get their information and I'd have to run them to see if they were felons or, you know, like what they're. And uh, so when the, the first person I ran was, I mean, the people that I worked for totally knew about my history, but, and one of the owners, he, he'd done like a bunch of time too. So I ran both me and him and we're paying for this service as a, as a business, you know, like you pay them a certain amount of money to, to run people's IDs, to check. We both came back clean. <laughs> and and so I'm like, uh, we were laughing. And so I, I've ran everybody that worked at this facility. And I think half the employees all had felonies. One was, uh, had, had a felony 18 months prior to working there none of them fucking came up and this is a paid force so i think a lot of that's just bullshit as far as you know i i mean i think that there are probably some more legit companies that yeah you know but if you are a felon like you said i would always just say no you know have you ever been you know and then i figured this is the way that i always looked at it it's like well if I get hired and it comes up later, which it has, by then people have gotten to know me, mm-hmm. they know my work ethic, they they know what I can do. And only one time did I have a boss like pull me up and he's like, hey, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, would you have hired me if I'd have said, you know, and he's like, no, you're probably right. He's like, okay, get back to work. Yeah. You know, because he knew, you know, he knew me and he knew my work ethic. So, you know, I, uh, so yeah, that's, that's definitely one thing that I'd say, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I look forward to talking to, you know, younger, younger cats, like, like that, that guy, uh, Rudy, just to see how different it is because from the, I'm sure that the time that you got out, then the time that I got out, um, so many people have been incarcerated and so many people That's have felonies too. versus, you know what I mean? At one point you got to accept the guys with the tattoos on their arms. You know what I mean? Like this, like everybody has tattoos now. Right. It has to be like a shift or something. Um, I, I wanted to actually ask you about playing in Cuba. Uh, Cause you, uh, you talked about uh, a little bit earlier, you you and uh verbal abuse verbal abuse that's right you guys were the first american band bands to play in cuba and this was uh after they lifted the embargo or not or where you couldn't where what so, was the 
so that we were the first American punk rock bands to play in Cuba. I'm sure we weren't the first American bands to go to there, but it was right around the right uh, when they had, but right before they lifted the embargo. And then, of course, they lifted it, and then Trump became president, and it got shut down again. Oh, gotcha. But, okay. But uh, we uh, were able, like we had to go through the ministry of culture and it was like, it was just kind of a weird fluke thing that, that happened. And it had more to do with the, the guitar player for verbal abuse. He had some connections um, with some folks and uh, they, they had a, you know, they mostly did heavy metal and they would bring, um, they would bring European metal bands to Cuba and so uh, through this guy, David, uh, we, we worked it out to, to go down and, and do this tour and play in Cuba. And, um, you know, that to me, uh, like as far as something to be proud of, I, I, I'm super proud that, you know, that we did that. Like I'm super stoked that we were able to do that, especially because now everything shut down again. We still had to, we couldn't fly direct. We had to go through Mexico. So we went down, we played a bunch of shows in Mexico and then we flew from Mexico to Cuba. Um, but, and then we, so we were on this organized, you know, it was like a tour. There was uh, four European bands and two American bands. And the four European bands were like metal bands. And then there was two American punk rock bands. Uh, but when we, when we played Havana, there was this whole crew of like punk rock kids that, that came, you know, and, and I met these punk rock kids and I'm, I'm hanging out with them. And they're like, look, we have this, this underground club here in Havana. Would you guys be willing to come and play, you know? And I'm like, well, let me, let me check, you know, let me, let me find out if, if we can. And if we can, we will. And so I went to the promoter, uh, and, I, and I told him, I said, look, you know, these could have these underground club, you know, is it going to get you into trouble or is it going to fuck you over if we go and play this show? Because I didn't want to put, you know, because it's still Cuba, <laughs> you know, I didn't want to put him in a position to get into trouble. And he goes, no, he goes, you guys should do that. So we, we worked it all out. And I mean, this was like they they had, you know, we didn't uh, we brought our guitars with us you know, but we didn't have any amps. And so they had this, basically, it was like this, this shell of a, of a fucked up building in Havana. It was sort of like their underground punk rock club. And they had, they had a fucked up drum kit and a chair. They didn't have like a drum throne. <laughs> and everybody plugged and they had this fucked up PA and every the guitars and bass and, and the vocals all plugged into the PA. There were no amps. And so it was all just like the drummer and everybody through the PA. And it was fucking, it was amazing. It was like, you know, I mean, and there was like some Havana underground punk rock bands that played. And it was fucking, it was a, uh, a amazing like underground show in cuba you know did it bring you, bring you did it bring you back to the the times of playing in the in the 80s and yeah i was like total, just total, the energy like right? total underground like like for real underground you know and and having it you know in in cuba it was uh yeah 
it was that was like uh, i'll never forget that you know that's awesome uh what what year that was uh right before or there was a because i felt like you were in mexico when we first start when i first hit you up you said you'd hit me up when you get back was it around that was it that time yeah i'm trying to remember i don't know yeah. six years ago oh no five, that, oh, five okay. years ago this was a while back it was right because they were just about to open cuba up it was uh so it was when obama was still president it was before trump became president because once trump became president God. everything you know that all got shut shut down you know and it was uh so so i don't know it's i'd have to look back it's but it's been a while that's you awesome know? i'm did still I, i'm still in touch with some people in cuba did anybody you know? take uh shoot video or get photos uh, there is some video uh, we put together uh, a music video called California to Cuba mm -hmm. uh, and it's on YouTube and oh, okay. you can I'm gonna see, have to check it out. Yeah. It's, it's just like, look, fan California to Cuba. It should pop okay. up. And, and it's got, uh, it's got some video clips. It's, you know, it's just one song, but it's like a, a you know, and it's got a, a bunch of clips from, from different shows and stuff down there how much uh how much time do you got i don't want to take too much of your time yeah I, I have no idea i don't even know what time it is uh, okay it's, uh, it's probably we probably have been talking for way longer than we it, should have yeah it's for i mean that's usually the case well it's not always the case but it's it's uh i mean i could just sit and listen to you tell stories all day i mean I, 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 bullshit I love, all day yeah i love that type of shit um well okay really one question that I wanted to ask that was sort of uh, premeditated was um, when you decided to do the the band, the disciples, what was that? Where did that choice come from? And then what I didn't even know. Um, I didn't even know anything about it until I started doing just research. And then I saw that I saw this band and it was like the style was completely kind of different. Um, right. What? uh what sparked that? It was, uh, it, it, was, it was, it was like a rehab romance. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I love I your finally, honesty about when you, <laughs> when you do certain things. I went, I went to rehab and, uh, and met a drummer, you know, <laughs> and, and when, when, uh, uh, when I, when I got out of rehab that, that drummer and I, uh, he hadn't played drums in a long time, but I was like, you, uh, you should start playing drums. Let's put a band together, you know? And so, uh, so that was, uh, you know, that's it, uh, like, rehab bands, rehab romances. They never yeah. work out in the long yeah. run, but <laughs> you know, they're out. fun while they last. Right. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, but funny. we, we did, uh, we have, there's a, uh, we did a music video and it was, you know, that was like a lot more. It was shot well. Saw, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it, it was, was like it was it was a good it was the video was, it was the video like was a professional, <laughs> yeah. professional video uh and so you know it was uh interesting times but it, it the whole band was it was like certainly far that's the most commercial thing i've ever done see yeah you know? that's interesting because especially the, the video itself I was like, wait, the production value on this, on the video, is it really good? I was like, where did this come from? And how come I never heard anything about it? And then that was like the only thing. That was the only thing that was on there. And I was just, 
sort of clueless about what happened but yeah uh yeah but but we did we have a cd we put out a cd i don't okay. think it we, i never got it uh at some point i still you know like with everything else i got a lot of, uh i want to get it put up on you know spotify you know that that said i've got some other side project bands that are now up yeah it took yeah. for it took them so i had american nightmare either on cassette tape or cd i probably had both but one of them was my actual copy you know you're usually supposed to leave everything behind to everybody when you like there's definitely like a few few items that i was like nah i'm i'm, I'm, yeah, I'm taking, this. taking that shit Ameri <laughs> yeah american nightmare uh, was one of them and then of course spotify came out and it wasn't on spotify for the longest time and i remember no just recently was that uh, because of you or is that because is it wingnut records that it was on right yeah we, it, okay. it was uh i i had to work it out with wingnut records so that we could put it up there and that that took a while and also just because it wasn't um uh like there's a uh, there's a couple other records uh we have another cd that came out in 2012 it's not up on spotify here come the cops oh, okay. um and and so there's some other music that i just still haven't taken the time to sit down and and orchestrate and, and get it together to do that with but at some point hopefully in the next year or so that was what i was trying to do uh when we did uh american nightmare and i had another album spun helga and that got put up on Spotify and we were starting to get the whole catalog put up on, uh, uh, you know, on all the platforms and then the label folded. So now we're, oh, we're sort of back at square one. But, but definitely there's people out there that definitely appreciated it. And I'm, I'm one of them. So I definitely appreciate <laughs> taking that time. Um, another, uh, another thing too that i want so i cover we were uh sick boy and i were in a in a punk rock band in susanville uh somehow we were able to orchestrate uh that um but i actually i covered uh guns not love uh and i played that song on the yard and it was one of the best feelings so anytime no that I, way that's yeah, awesome it was that's fucking awesome it was it was in <laughs> There was actually a pit at one point. Um, Holy there was, shit! Yeah, we there was a there was a good amount of punk rockers, and then you had like the knucklehead skinheads. Another thing too, I wanted to ask you um, is, do you have a dislike for skinheads? Um, <laughs> oh, no. no, everybody gets that all confused. I wrote skinhead smoked dope because I was a skinhead kid. Yeah, and I smoked weed. You know, yeah, it was like yeah. there was like this whole backlash against like uh, you skinheads, you can't smoke weed. And I'm like, fuck you, skinheads smoke dope. You know, so yeah. no, no, it's like okay. <laughs> I think that there's like some sort of uh, you know, I don't really self-identify as a skinhead, but I did at one point when I was a kid. You know, yeah. uh, when I was a, a, a young youngster, like 14, 15. You know, um, so how how was it? No. With how so i'm assuming like tra traditional skinhead and then we had like the the racist skinheads which it was i i mean i i'd actually gotten quite a few fights uh with those guys and it it always because they would they would borrow the punk rock stuff and then sick boy 
he would always have those guys buying new punk rock because he just wanted a lot of punk rock on the yard. Like we had a really good catalog. So he was always like, if a dude was a metalhead, he would, you know, oh, if you like this, then you'll really like this. You know what I mean? Like Check something this out, was, yeah. Yeah, a little bit related, but the guy would be like, oh, I didn't really like it. And then he'd be like, well, you should let me have it if you don't really like it. But uh, <laughs> it was just funny because a lot of the, there was a skinhead that loved no effects. And when I found out like Mike was, I was like, do you, you know that that guy that you love, like you have a no effects tattooed on you, you know, that guy's Jewish, right? He's like, yeah, but I don't care. I really like the music. I was like, can't you just get rid of all your, that, that belief that side of your beliefs i mean if you're able to do that for a, a band um but yeah that was that was definitely like a really really cool moment for me to be able to to sing that song on the yard and then there was like i said there was like a little pit pit going that's 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 crazy because that's uh when i went to the hole in soledad i i tried to introduce punk rock to the yard and i it it, it did not go well you know, yeah. it, went, it, it caused, yeah, it caused a lot of problems. I should have, I, I should never have walked off that yard alive, you know, like yeah, it, wow. it, it, it got, it got real fucked off. Uh, and, uh, and then I was in solitary for five months behind it. And it was, and like I said, it was in my jacket for inciting and it, it rent it went shit so it went really bad all that you stemmed know? from you trying to inter introduce punk rock to yeah yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. They, they were not this was uh, i don't know maybe 92 i guess and they were not ready for punk rock on the yard in solidad in 1992 and uh, yeah that, wow. but that's a that's a i've told that story before but that's a story for yeah yeah <laughs> that's crazy no i i hadn't i'd never heard of that uh but we yeah we i definitely definitely got shit from like peckerwoods uh you know like kill, oh you listen to that kill your kill your mother kill your mother shit and it's just like i'm here listening to bad religion uh, this guy has a PhD. He's a professor. Like, and you're trying to say, trying to dumb down the lyrics. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, that that was definitely a cool moment. So it was like really cool to be able to to talk to you um, and tell That's you. That's awesome. That. I I, I, I know. That. I really. I that fucking that that makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. Ner Nirvana covering thing. Uh, some random dude in prison in a in a punk rock band cover. You know what I mean? Both sides of the. the I, hey, I think it's far more impressive playing <laughs> uh, playing that song on the yard than it was playing it uh, at the Reading Festival. As far as I'm concerned, you know. Oh yeah, that's that's so cool. <laughs> uh, I wanted to end it too because uh, I mean, I guess I could ask you outside of the podcast, but. The, one of the last texts that we did, I told you that I went to go see you play at the Anarchy Library, and yeah. uh, you're like, "Oh, that was a shit, a shit show, or it was, it was terrible, or something like that." Oh, yeah. Why? That's a long. That's okay, a long story. I, okay, because in my mind, I remember I got my "Where the Wild Things Are" uh, T-shirt, and then I ended up in on uh in the la times in a photo and you're in it and it was an article on how you came to la to play or something like that and uh i'm in the background and then you're you know doing your thing or whatever so like for me my memory of that show is like man it was it was amazing well we played there twice one of those shows was really bad i just come from chicago i've been shot 
And so it was, oh, uh, I just got, I came out of the hospital. I was, I had to sit on a, a stool on that's the only time I've not been like, I actually had to sit down while we played. Oh, wow. So, uh, so maybe it was the other time we played the anarchy library. Then, 2004. Yeah. I think it was 2004, played, 2005. Played there twice. So one time was, was real bad. Like I said, I was really fucked off. Uh, I, I tried to go do that rapid fucking detox thing and anyway it's a long story but yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right good to know good to know all right well i'm gonna let you go thank you for your time i appreciate chatting it up with you Um, absolutely 100 percent. yeah for sure are you going on going on on tour uh soon i know you just came back yeah, we we did a run on the East Coast. I don't have anything particularly lined up uh, 100% yet. I know that we're supposed to do a festival in uh, Europe this summer. But uh, the way things are right now, it's, it's such a fucked up time for music, you know, that, that I'm kind of just biding our time. And we were supposed to record another album but that's been put on hold because one of our guitar players uh, is, is pretty fucked up right now uh, with cancer. So, sure. you know, everything's kind of up in there. We did put out a seven inch split CD, which is on, uh, we have it on our merch site. Uh, it's got a song called Minneapolis and that's about the riot, the George Floyd riots. And we made a video of that song it's not quite as professional as the disciples video. <laughs> more along the old school punk rock lines, but you can check, uh, check that out. It's on YouTube. It's called Minneapolis. Right, uh, I'll, make, and, I'll, I'll make sure to put a link in the, the description. Yeah, so they can. And, uh, and, and then that's so that that's but seven, it's just came out like a month or two ago and it's got a couple new songs on it. And then I'm sure we'll at some point, you know, finish recording the whole album and then, and, you know, we'll be back out on the road, you know, uh, at some point this year. I just am not sure where and when yet. Okay. You know? um, and one last question that I like to ask, what does it mean to be free for you? What does it mean to be free? It means I don't have to carry a knife in my ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for the whole aside, you know, it's like, fun things you've had to stick in your butt in the prison you know uh it's like uh what does it mean to be free uh yeah you know uh i don't have to be hyper vigilant however uh still many many years later i find myself uh doing it anyway you know um but uh, being free allows me to, well, being free really allows me to be a good father. It allows me to, uh, be a good, uh, uh, partner, you know, to my, uh, to my fiance. Uh, it allows me to, uh, for me, it's, it's allowed me to travel the world. You know, uh, I will say this is, uh, my favorite quote and I, I, I will end it with this. Um, if you can't be happy for what you have, be glad you didn't get what you deserved, you know? And I know that I, uh, because I have been able to remain free, I've got a life that I certainly don't deserve, you know, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I 
I concur. I agree with you. Uh, definitely. Well, I appreciate that, Sam. Um, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or, or YouTube. Uh, check out all the links uh, in the description below to all of all your, I'm putting all of your body of work on there uh, or your finger. The toenail. The toenail. <laughs> yeah. Um, this has been another episode of Screaming at a Wall. Stay free, everybody.